Okay, well, I want to jump into this message, which is kind of a funny one, actually, because I wasn't supposed to be preaching this Sunday. Um, I shared something with our elders on Wednesday, and I said, guys, I'm so passionate about this, I feel like I could get up and preach this right now. And they said, well, you should. And I was like, oh, I didn't mean that. <laughs> and, and then we all just kind of got faith for it. And it came out of a few different things, but not the least of which, and this is why I'm so grateful for prayer and fasting, is that it came out of this sense that we continue in some measure of spiritual resistance. We do. Like Christ guarantees that this will be the case. And we feel it acutely. Some of us felt it acutely last week and we had a number of issues. And it's not just because, you know, everything, you know, a cable doesn't work. It's spiritual resistance. But you see these concentrated moments. Maybe you've experienced this in your personal life. We've experienced this as a church. And we go, man, what is that? Why is, why is that harder than it seems like it should be. Why have all of these things aligned against me, against us? And it's very easy, especially in sort of the charismatic Pentecostal tradition, the, the evangelical tradition to start casting these things out. And we see that Jesus did cast out demons, but, but our, our first move is to often try to figure it out and fix it, right? That's kind of how we handle problems. So we look at, well, here's the source of that, and we'll shore this up, and any of that can be fine, but it's, it's actually not what the Scripture first prescribes in these kinds of situations. Like, what does it really call us to do? Because I've got to be honest with you. If somebody comes to me, and I've been a pastor for a long time, I've been a Christian for a long time, hey, this, 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 and that happened, and what do you think is going on there? And I go, I don't know. I really don't know. Like, it's really hard to figure out what's going on in the spiritual realm in any given moment, is it? isn't it? And, and so, what does the Bible actually call us to do? Well, I think, and this is what my passion was, and I see in Scripture that it calls us to focus and follow Him. <laughs> that's, that's the thing it calls us to do. Not beat the air... Not try to figure out things that are unfigurable, but actually to align with God's word, to focus on him and follow him on the narrow path. That's what we can do. And that is actually what engages in the battle more powerfully than anything. And we don't get distracted. And you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, if you're in a physical war, but you've got a bunch of sloppy soldiers and you're just trying to figure out where the missiles are coming from, you're sunk. You're gonna lose that war. But if you go, holy cow, we're under fire. We need to pull it together. We need an elite fighting force to engage in this battle in the right way. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him. So I was actually moved. I, I had this kind of, you know, just a bit of spark in me what was cool is Trav actually isn't feeling well today. He was supposed to preach. So thank the Lord that he just worked this all out. He's going to be preaching next week on the dying thieves, another meet the author moment where these thieves are being crucified along with Jesus. I'm very excited about that. But tonight I want to look at the, or today I want to look at the Last Supper. Another meet the author moment, but a unique meet the author moment because these disciples have been meeting Jesus for three years and they still meet him freshly 
at the Last Supper. And what I saw in the Last Supper is exactly what I feel like monument needs to continue to give ourselves to, which is what I would call robust discipleship. We saw at the very beginning of this series that the author, in all of his authority, commissioned us to do what? Go and make disciples. And so if that is one of our primary things, we have to give ourselves to robust discipleship. And I use that word because this is what we see in the Last Supper. I read this in my devotional. This was on Tuesday morning in Luke 22, and I was just like, oh my gosh. I feel like we can really benefit from this. And I think part of it is seeing how they challenged one another, how they loved one another, but also how they lived in a whole different space than the rest of the world. We live in a you-do-you culture, right? You-do-you, man. It's cool. And there's something good about that. It's like, hey, I'm not going to try to control you. I'm not going to try to tell you how to live your life. You do you. But then it's also like, look, you don't tell me what to do, and I won't tell you what to do, and we'll just live unto ourselves. And that's not actually what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is let's help each other become more like him. Not you do you. Not really. That's not the best. That's not the top prize. That's not the pinnacle of what the Bible teaches us. So as we feel spiritual resistance, we focus on him. Let's go to the word and look and see how this worked among the disciples because that's ultimately what we are. We have a culture of deep consideration for one another and accountability to one another for the way that we live our lives. So let's open with Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 19. They're at the Last Supper. They've prepared a meal. Jesus is actually about to go to his death. Only he truly knows that. Only he really knows what's about to happen. So he's sitting there at this meal. And at one point in the meal, it says in verse 19, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine. He had had another cup of wine previously where he made a bit of a toast. And this is another cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So if this moment is a robust discipleship moment, one of the first things I think we see is that robust discipleship is starts with love and sacrifice. It's not first just a training exercise. Jesus, as he gets into this, in the midst of this meal, just starts with, I am going to lay down my life for you. If you're new here, if you're exploring the claims of Jesus and, and Christianity, we, we just have to start with, this is the person of Jesus Christ. One who came to sacrifice his life for us. If you wonder if God is a good God or a kind God or he's mean or you don't know anything about him, the, the God we worship, we believe, is exceedingly, exceedingly kind. Yes. He gave his only son so that we could have life. He was murdered on our behalf so that we would not have to be because of our sin. And it represents this new covenant 
Many of us come in and, and have misconceptions or preconceived notions of who God is. Even those who have been following him for some time, he is exceedingly gracious, kind, loving, and self-sacrificing, yes. period. You're going to see even more as we get into this Last Supper just how true that really is. It's profound. And what's amazing is Jesus is sitting there with all of these folks, these disciples of his, these 12. He knew their flaws. He knew how broken they were, how selfish they were. I mean, he'd been living with them for three years. Can you imagine three-year-long roommates that are just like a pain in the butt? And yet he said, I am actually about to give my life, not only for you, but for the entire world who is flawed and broken. He is exceedingly kind and gracious and patient. The patient piece we'll get to, but robust discipleship. What does robust mean? Robust, that word is, well, what is that word? It's, it's strong and healthy and vigorous. So when I say robust discipleship, I'm talking about strong, healthy, and vigorous discipleship. Why is that important? Well, we'll, we'll see as we continue onward. All right, so Luke 22, he had just said, there's this new covenant, my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Then it says, but here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it's been determined that the Son of Man must die, speaking of himself, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him. The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. <laughs> I love that. Like how stupid could these guys be? He just said, I'm about to be murdered. And they very quickly get to who of us is the greatest. I mean, that is like... It is inconceivable, really, that they would be this self-absorbed, self-centered, and consumed with themselves. I would think in this moment, imagine I'm sitting at dinner with you and I go, guys, I just found out I have terminal cancer and I'm going to die tomorrow. And they quickly got to, which one do you think is the greatest among us? I mean, I would start throwing things, guys, did you hear what I just said? Can you like be here for me in the moment? And, and I think we just have to sort of pause here because <laughs> as much as I joke about how silly these guys are, we're all just about this silly. Like we all will often bring everything back to ourselves, won't we? Like this is a little small group moment. Are you in a small group? Most of us are in small groups. Do you ever see this happen? Do you do this? I do this. Somebody says, man, I went to the Grand Canyon, I had a great time with my family, and I go, you know, I've been to the Grand Canyon, and all of a sudden now I'm off to the races with my own story. Like we do this, we listen for opportunities to talk about ourselves. Yeah. I think this is part of the discipleship that we need to learn, is actually, rather than thinking very quickly about ourselves, especially with somebody who's going through crisis, we listen, we lean in, we consider. Whoa, I heard what you just said. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. Rather than what often happens, and I want to challenge all of us in our small group environments. 
This is not, first and foremost, a platform for self-expression. It is that. It's an opportunity to share our lives, and there's no one to listen to unless someone's doing that. But oftentimes the waiting is me. <laughs> what if we waited you? What if we actually were like, I need to listen and understand and help and stand with you in whatever it is that you're struggling with or just the common everyday thing that you're sharing? What would we look like if actually we didn't do the natural thing, the thing that came naturally to us like we see the disciples doing? I think part of robust discipleship is an outward, non-self-centered focus that actually has us first and foremost thinking of others, thinking of Him when we're launching into conversation. Doesn't mean we can't share the contents of our lives. I want to really encourage us to do that vulnerably. But then we listen and we engage for the sake of the other person. I mean, that is actually what Jesus does. It's just amazing here. Jesus tells them he's going to die and they start to argue. So robust discipleship requires patience. It does. We have to be loving and self-sacrificing, but also patience. When people kind of let us down or they become self-absorbed and self-centered, and we ourselves have to go, that's not going to be me. I need to share my life, but I need to be listening and concerned with and caring. How could Jesus do this? Because I want to show you what he then does next. He doesn't throw cups and plates at them, given that they just started talking about themselves. He says this in verse 25, Jesus told them, in this world, kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who's more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Well, the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial. This is the mind-blowing moment. So instead of freaking out, instead of doing what I would do and being like, guys, I just said I'm dying tomorrow. Instead of that, he gives them a little lesson and then he affirms them. <laughs> Man, the... The patience, the love, the grace, the self-sacrifice of Jesus Christ is beyond what we can imagine. He says, you have stayed with me in time of trial. Forget that little foible you just had. You have stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. How does he have the patience to do that? He affirms the glory they will share along with him. Do you think God is a good God? Forget the fact for a moment that he came in human form. He's sitting at a table with these men who don't really kind of get it even after being with him for three years. And he just patiently and gently instructs them. Instead of saying, none of you are great, you're all failing. Look at you. He says, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He not only imparts this, but he models this, doesn't he? So robust discipleship is servant-hearted. Even after they're jockeying for position in light of his imminent death, he gently teaches them and even affirms them. 
so beautiful. Then we get into verse 31. He turns his attention to Simon. Actually, before we get into that, I just want to say another word on this leadership. You know, in, in ancient times, there were actually um, kings, you know, important people, leaders, would grow their fingernails super long so they couldn't do anything for themselves. It was like a sign of, um, you know, uh, uh, great wealth and, and rulership and leadership, and you couldn't, you, couldn't even, you couldn't even possibly physically do menial things. And, and, and that was the concept that Jesus was speaking into when he talks about lords lording it over people. And so he's, he's calling them into something different. You know, when Jesus uses the word leader in the Gospels, it's almost always a warning. He uses the word servant. He uses the word disciple. He never actually calls a Christian disciple, a servant, a leader, unless he's warning them. He's not enamored with this because he knows what the kind of leadership that he's modeling truly is. And so robust discipleship is servant-hearted. It is not easy to grasp because the whole world wants to do it the other way. Who's the one who's honored, the one who sits at the table, or the one who serves? In our case, it's the one who serves. Luke 22, verse 31. This is where it gets really robust. This is strong, healthy, and vigorous. Simon, Simon, speaking to Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you, speaking to the whole group, like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. What a moment. Can you imagine? So here's robust discipleship, right? This is pretty offensive stuff. Actually, you're weak enough to be subject to the devil. In fact, it's, it's pretty intense just how vulnerable you are. But what I love about this, and I can't even remember what my next point is. What's the next one? Yeah. Robust discipleship is non-judgmental non and prayerful. What's happening here? Do you ever notice things about somebody and you go, I need to just tell them that right away. I need to just tell them what their flaw is, what their issue is. I think the devil's having a field day with them, so I'm just going to tell them. Well, Jesus sees this going on with Peter and he doesn't judge him. Man, you've been with me three years. How can the devil just have such an easy field day with you? Why are you so weak? I mean, I've drawn you close. You're kind of the leader of this little crew next to me. He doesn't judge him. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't point his finger. In fact, what we learn is he's seen this for a long time. And what does he do? He prays for him. You know, as I grow in maturity, hopefully I'm growing in maturity all the time, and even especially as I took on the leadership of this church, God's just giving me more and more discernment. He's just showing me more and more things about people. It's, a, it's just part of, I think, a shepherding, prophetic kind of gift that he's helping me with to equip me for this role. I'm so grateful for that. What's amazing is the more he shows me, I think the less he wants me to say. Oh my gosh, that's maddening. It's maddening. I want to go, mm. take it to prayer. Yeah. That's what Jesus did. 
He took it to prayer. He saw everything. Jesus saw everything. He would be exhausted if he had to point out everything he saw. Instead, he models right here that he took it to prayer. And he loves Peter so much, he's willing at this moment to tell him, hey man, I have to warn you. Are you willing to hear a warning from someone else? See, many of us might be willing to hear a warning from Jesus. Lord, tell me whatever it is that you want. I'll just receive it. But can I hear that from a brother or sister? We won't be sitting at the physical table with the physical Jesus anytime soon. Well, who knows? Could be tomorrow. Lord, <laughs> let it be tomorrow. But if it isn't, we'll be sitting with one another in our small group environments and one-on-one. -on -one. Can you hear a warning from someone? Now, in many ways, what he's modeling here is he has given his life for these people. I would hope they can hear. So that's why even the robust discipleship, the strong words that we may say is preceded by an incredible love and self-sacrifice and patience. That's what comes before. Have you ever heard this thing of like, you can't take a 10-ton load over a five-ton bridge? If you haven't built relationship with somebody, you can't just start throwing a bunch of stuff at them. But are you able to hear a caution, a warning? That's part of what it means to be robust disciples, strong, healthy, and vigorous. We are so rooted and grounded in the love of God that we're not easily made insecure by something somebody might say, even if it's wrong. Anybody in this room can say anything to me. I invite that. Because either it's true and I need to hear it, or you're off and I'm good, right? Either that's something I need to take seriously, and if I did, I would take it to people who are close to me. Hey, somebody said this to me. Do you see that? Is, is that true? Because if that's true, I really want to know. Can you confirm or deny that? But if people said, no, actually, I think, they're, I think they're off on that. I don't think that's true. Why do you think they said that? I don't know. You talk about it. You, you weigh and you vet these things, but are you able to hear hard things? Because that's what robust discipleship is all about. Paved by, the way is paved by love and self-sacrifice. It's completely embedded in patience and kindness and grace. And yet it is completely willing to be honest. Speak the truth in love, as it says in Ephesians 4. Let's be mature disciples. Let's be robust disciples. Let's be willing to tell one another, hey, I think you're actually hogging the room. You're talking way too much or you're not really sharing your life. What's amazing about this is that Jesus is willing to tell him. Why? Because he loves him. Can you imagine if Jesus didn't tell him? Well, I don't know how Peter's going to take this. I just don't think I'm going to say anything. No, he needs to know this. But it, it really requires a non-judgmental and a prayerful approach. Oftentimes, when we have prophetic insight, it just is to cause us to pray. Just pray. You know, in response to what Jesus, to what Peter says here, wouldn't you kind of think like Jesus would be like, you'd be willing to go to prison for me, Peter? That's so sweet. I know you would, buddy. You're a great guy. I just know your heart's for me. And forget that stuff I said about the devil. He doesn't do that. 
In verse 34, it says, But Jesus said, Peter, buddy, <laughs> let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, 12 hours from now, you will deny three times that you even know me. That's chilling. That is so chilling. It's honest. It's loving, honestly. But it's truthful. You're not actually ready to go to prison. You're not even ready to let people know you know me. But he didn't judge him. He didn't judge him. You're pathetic, Peter. I see you. You think you're this, but you're not. You're weak. He didn't do that. He knew he was going to be betrayed by the guy who is one of the closest to him. I remember years ago, I had a guy in this kind of discipleship group, and, and he, was, he was a little bit of a hot mess. He just had a bunch of stuff going on, and he, he had um, had a child with a woman, and he was ordered to pay child support payments. And um, I loved this guy. I just loved him. And I actually went out of my way often for him, just to serve him and help him get his life on track. Um, and actually, he really got on track, praise the Lord. Um, so anyway, he wasn't making his child support payments. And uh, so he has to go to court. And the judge throws him in jail. And he calls me, <laughs> gets his one phone call. I'm in jail. Why are you in jail? I wasn't making my child support payments. They will throw you in jail for that. So I bail him out. It was 1,500 bucks. It wasn't my money, it was the church's money, but we bail him out and he agrees to pay it back. He goes, thanks man, I'm so glad you, you set me free. Because that judge, I could just tell when I looked at that judge's face, they were just like the devil. And that judge just was like possessed by the devil and sent me to jail. And I was like, you know what, buddy? That judge was more like God than anything else. Because you've been a deadbeat dad. And I understand you're struggling, but actually, God won't let you get away with that. And he was like, shot, I mean, jaw on the floor. And I just loved him. I couldn't have loved him more. I wasn't judging him. I wasn't wagging my finger. But I was like, you need to hear this, I think, right now. And it was so good because he just was like, chiropractic alignment in that moment. He talked about that moment for years after. He's like, that was the moment. I just needed a smack upside the head. I needed a splash of cold water. That's what Jesus is doing here with Peter. You know what, buddy? <laughs> it's not quite like that. We need one another to help bring self-awareness. I see something you don't see. It's okay that you don't see it. You're kind of wrapped up in a moment right now. But will we trust one another to actually share the heart of God, even if it's hard? Especially when it's been paved with love and self-sacrifice. What I love about this too is that back up there in verse 32, he says, but I've pleaded for you, Simon, in prayer that your faith should not fail. He doesn't consider denying him three times a failure of faith. Isn't that amazing? He considers it faltering. He faltered, but actually it's okay. He says, when you have turned back to me, when you have repented and turned back to me, have you failed or have you thought you have failed, but actually Jesus today is saying, you've just faltered. 
You've just faltered. Just repent and turn back to me. And what he said was not just so you and I could be reconciled. He actually said so that you can go and strengthen your brothers. That's why we need to be on a narrow road of discipleship. Because when we are taking the arrows of the enemy, the thing we need to do is just turn right back and focus on him. That's it. We don't need to try to figure out what the devil's doing and get all up into that. We can pray those things. That's fine. But actually, he's calling us to robust discipleship. He's calling us to turn away from the falters of faith and back toward him that we may strengthen one another. This is so vital. It's so important for us to be able to hear difficult things in tense moments. Wouldn't you want somebody to tackle you out of the way if you were about to be hit by a bus? It's uncomfortable. It hurts even sometimes. But actually, if we are a community of robust discipleship, we will be able to practice these very things that they did at the Last Supper. Final moment. And actually, it kind of goes on a little bit, but I just want to read what happens then after the Supper. So Jesus laid all this pretty hard stuff out, right? But he's also loved them and just talked about how they will be sitting on thrones. I mean, it's been this incredibly robust moment of discipleship. And then they go to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know this moment. I'm just going to read it. It's not up on the screen. It says, Then accompanied by the disciples after the supper, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, Pray that you will not give into temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. At last he stood up again, returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, <laughs> exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. And again, you'd think Jesus would come back and be like, ah, oh, they are just plump tuckered, these boys. <laughs> See, I think sometimes we just want to be too gracious and too kind. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I was saying this for your own good. He's not saying it out of annoyance. That's the other thing. We often can say stuff to one another because it just kind of annoys us. I don't like the way you do that. That wasn't Jesus. He's sweating drops of blood in the garden, and he doesn't say, are you guys serious? You can't sit and pray for me a little bit? He's like, no, 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 pray that you won't give in to temptation. The selflessness is beyond me. He is contending for his very life and sweating drops of blood, which physiologically is the most extreme anxiety response you can have, and he still says, Pray that you may not fall into temptation. <laughs> it's just like, come on! Like, who else is like him? Yeah. Who else will be that patient with you? Who else will walk with you, even in your messiest of moments? Who else will see everything about you and just continue to love you? That's the kind of community that we want to be with one another. Yes. People walk in and they go, I don't know, there's just something. They see everything about me. They just love me anyway. And then they call stuff out to help me. 
not because it annoys them or they want to change or control me or judge me. They actually see that it's for my good. What a community. I feel like this is what God is actually wanting us to hear right now. We just change things up a little bit in this series because I think we need to meet the author in this way for us right now. I actually want to, we've got some time, and we actually planned, because this Last Supper is really, if nothing else, a communion moment, isn't it? And I know that many people in this room are saying, hey, look, I've been in these kind of robust discipleship situations. They can get legalistic, controlling, um, offensive. I get it. I get it. We're, we're, we're re-upping on something here, guys especially in light of some problematic history. Some of us very personally problematic history, right? Some of us experienced not so kind, not so gracious, not so loving, not so self-sacrificing, not so patient. And so all of us need to kind of refresh on this thing of robust discipleship. We want to do it again. We want to do it like Jesus did it. We're going to fumble around a little bit, but we're going to keep aiming at it because this is what he calls us to. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And this is how that is done.